When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, welcome back. Back with another episode after a bit of a, I don't know, as far as I'm considered, a bit of an extended weekend as far as my podcast goes. It's its not too often that I go more than, you know, two days without an episode, but that's all right. Uh, and I am back again talking about the markets as well as the coronavirus. Now, coronavirus is a real general term. And for a long time, we were also referring it to it as a uh, 2019 NCOV, which is you know novel coronavirus. Uh, however, you know we do have a different name for it now. This is from the World Health Organization, uh, and they're calling it COVID-19, C-O-V-I-D, uh, which you know it. There's of course probably some political correctness to this. Ultimately, we can never know. Probably, well, maybe some people have an idea of where it came from, but but as far as we are considered, you know this this. COVID-19 is coming from Wuhan. And actually, early on, there's a lot of people that were up in arms and saying, no way, don't call this the Wuhan coronavirus. Nobody's ever going to come here for tourism ever again. And I get that, even though we still have MERS, which is, you know, you know, SARS is, is severe um, acute respiratory syndrome. And MERS is Middle Eastern respiratory syndrome, which is actually is far as I'm considered more severe than SARS uh, the death rate suggested that anyways and and yet the Middle East still gets that um but but no we're calling this uh COVID-19 uh but coronavirus is you know good enough even though obviously there's there's a ton of other coronaviruses out there that affect people all the time and 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 are generally nothing more than just a cold or you know flu-like symptoms which is actually still the case for this one uh for this coronavirus for a lot of people uh, and I'm not downplaying it here by any by any means, right? But for a lot of people, it is cold or just basic flu-like symptoms. However, you know, the data now, I mean, it's always a question of how many cases are there. Um, it sounds like, I don't know, I, I guess my guesstimate, although the data would suggest anywhere from 15 to 20% are severe enough to, to be considered, you know, severe or, you know, require hospitalization. And maybe a quarter of that, so 5% total, meaning inten- needing intensive care. Um, so ICU bed or, or, you know, a ventilator or whatever that might entail. And then of course, you know, a couple percentage, one or two actually dying. Now those are all totally up in the air because the epicenter of this Wuhan and ultimately China has been very tight lipped about the total number of cases, uh, as, as far as I'm considered, at least, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, I should say it's, it's you know, clearly their numbers are not accurate. And, and they've said so much themselves that, that they're not counting asymptomatic positive tests. I mean, what, what does that even mean? The tests themselves are still relatively flawed at this point in time. So uh, we, it's, a, it's a difficult game playing exactly, you know, a difficult game to play, trying to count exactly how many cases, how many deaths, and what the percentage is. But ultimately, you know, for a lot of us, this may not amount to anything if we were ultimately infected. But I'm not downplaying it either because this is deadlier and much more severe than just something like, you know, the seasonal flu, even on some of the bad years, you know, unless we're talking about, you know, the really bad years like like uh, the Spanish flu or, or some other ones, you know, Hong Kong flu and other ones that we've had, you know, decades ago, worse than the swine flu. 
from from this data. So it's still very serious and extremely effective, right? But but before we get to that, okay, I want to talk more about the coronavirus, but but let's talk about markets real quick because as I you know mentioned in the title, you know precious metals have been ignoring for the most part all this going on now. As far as markets are concerned, I mean, we always have to take into consideration the bigger picture, meaning precious metals don't operate in a vacuum, and what's happening in other markets affect trader sentiment in the precious metals markets, right? And so, I mean, you can take a look at what's going on in other markets. Uh, the Dow Jones is you know, basically at all-time highs or right off of all-time highs. That, as far as I'm concerned, doesn't make sense. But, I mean, these markets are rational, as we know. And, and sure, a ton of stimulus from the Fed and China, and I'm sure all their central banks and governments, will, will do that to markets. I mean, it, it's funny how, you know, traders after the fact will rationalize it and say that this is on hopes of, of you know, the, the coronavirus slowing down or a cure or things aren't as bad as we thought they could be. We're still looking at, confirmed, over 40,000 cases, though. And, and it's probably much, 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 much worse than that. I, I don't see how you spin that positively and say this justifies all-time highs. No, I mean, ultimately, they're they're looking for a reason after the fact to justify the all-time highs, when in reality, I mean, it's it's liquidity and credit growth, as it has been for a long time. doesn't mean that's always going to be the case, though. In fact, you're seeing in the uh, a bond market a, a very different story, where yields are moving lower and lower, which you know, correlates with a higher and higher price. You know, as I record, the U.S. 10 years just below 1.6%, um, which is not as low as it's been. It's actually gotten close to 1.5%, or at least in this you know last month. Uh, towards the end of January, it was closer to 1.5% or just off of that. So still a bit above that, but still trending downwards, meaning bonds are going up. And you know, bonds going up and stocks going up, uh, it really raises the question of which one's right. And, and as I said, precious metals have been you know, really sideways, especially gold, which, you know, in theory should uh, correlate less with economic growth and, and the price of copper and, and some other base metals. It's holding steady in the 1560 range, which is a, still a very strong position as far as I'm concerned. And, uh, uh, you know, in a good position for a move up still, which I think it will make once we realize, you know, this, this is it for the global economy and central banks are going to have to resort to insane policies to try and slow down uh, the, the coronavirus. They don't have a hope of slowing it down, the central banks, but at least it's it's the wake that it leaves in, in terms of financial markets. Uh, you know, silver, on the other hand, been doing a little bit worse, you know, around the 1560 or sorry, 1760 range, which is, you know, it's not like crazy low. It's still as as far as I know, above some support levels, and it's not you know really breaking down or anything, but it hasn't been performing quite as well as gold has been. And so, you know, like I said, I mean, you have the situation where gold and silver are just sort of sideways, range bound, despite you know this huge global event going on all around them. Now, from from my opinion, I mean, it really hasn't changed a whole lot in the last you know, very long time, um, several months. That that gold, I think, is going up. As a stacker, I still think silver is the better buy at the current ratio, right? I think silver has a long ways to go, and, and so does gold, but, but silver is going to far up his gold to the upside. Um, but again, it's just a waiting game. I mean, these markets are very, um, well, I, I, I hate to say that it's even just optimism from traders, because again, I think it's just justifying it after the fact, 
liquidity and credit growth pumped into the markets markets go up and then traders say well it's because you know the cures are on the corner or something crazy like that and it's i don't know so as again silver and gold sort of sideways range bound but but again i think that's going to end once markets realize that that this is it for for the economy and and new round of central bank easing is around the corner that's going to build upon the current round that we're already experiencing at least here in the united states and and it's going to be pretty ugly for for currencies and and i think it's gonna be a huge boon for precious metals even the paper markets so uh but moving on back to to this coronavirus it's uh again been a couple of days since i've checked in on it and and we're looking at over forty thousand cases uh over thirty thousand of those in the hubei province including the city of wuhan um, by the way, I get my statistics from bnonews.com. They actually have a pretty good update. I mean, now there's other sites. There's John Hopkins, um, South China Morning Post, and WuFlu, W-U-F-L-U dot live. WuFlu dot live is another pretty good source. And they have some good charts in there. But but again, these numbers are also questionable because obviously the bulk of the cases right now are in China and 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 those are not corresponding with reality but we're kind of moving into the situation where you know the impact on other countries is more and more going to be what i think media focuses on uh, because what's going on in china is crazy right we're, we're looking at you know approaching i think half a billion people in some level of quarantine or or you know travel restrictions and whatnot you know, coming up on like what a third of their population. What China's got like what 1.5, 1.6 billion. That's a huge amount of people that are having their travel restricted, um, and obviously their economy is slowing down hugely. In fact, you know, we have an article from from Zero Hedge. Uh, this is some some uh, information from uh, Bloomberg and China Merchant Securities, saying that uh, in the first uh, week of February. Uh, apartment sales crashed 90% year over year. Existing homes in eight different cities plunged 91% over the same period. Quoting some of that word for word. Uh, some of it's my own. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. But that's huge crash. And obviously, you know, that's people are just not going to buy an apartment or a house right now because they don't want to be in public, period. I get that side of it. Uh, but that has implications you know there's this talk right now uh, jp morgan and i think they put out a prediction last week or the week prior and some others you know but what is going to be the impact to chinese gdp is it going to drop one percent or five percent or whatever but i think what's really important to understand is that the the effects of this recession or the slowdown is going to extend far beyond just china I mean, if you look at china they have you know the second largest economy in the world and and if their GDP drops by three percent, you know the global GDP, including China, might drop by, you know, half percent. If if we're gonna, and that's just a rough number. I don't know the exact number, maybe 0.3. But it's not that simple, because what you know the slowdown in China is going to cause a a sort of cascading, a domino effect, a, a slowdown 
in South Korea, Japan, Southeast Asia, India, as well as the United States and Europe and Canada and Australia, as well as, you know, the oil markets. And, you know, it's a cascading type thing that extends beyond just, you know, China's economy, you know, their, their nominal GDP, not increasing at the same pace or, wow, gasp, actually declining on a, a nominal terms as well as, you know, year over year, you know, growth or, or contracture. So that's, it's going to far, you know, because that, again, it's just a domino effect because so many of these countries are dependent on China as as a trade partner, as um, a, a country that provides raw materials or components for factories and, and, and other industries in these other countries, right? All, this slowdown is, is far beyond just the, you know, the domino effect of the slowdown that is going to happen when, when what we see in China will happen in Japan or or thailand or vietnam or south korea because of the high case count you know basically a shutdown of society nobody ever leaves their house and whatnot because of a fear of getting sick i'm just talking about a slowdown because of the whole supply chain getting backed up right the whole thing is just you know and and so can that be recovered after this all goes away maybe i mean this is going to go away in bits and pieces and and we're we're a long ways away from from the uh the climax or the peak of this situation Right. Um, But but you also have to understand that we're talking about a a very highly leveraged economy. China's debt bubble is historic. Second, maybe only to the United States. And that's going to pop in one way or another. Right. If this all comes, you know, crumbling down, if if society and the economy continue to just stagnate or, or decline because of this coronavirus fears. That's going to come, you know, and, and so you'll see a financial crisis, right? And and sure, the, the People's Bank of China and the Chinese government can put policies in place and easing and, and restrictions on what traders and, and and large, you know, wealthy individuals can do and whatnot. But that's ultimately just going to hurt the yuan then, right? And this is sort of a, a, a huge contagion risk at that point, right? Um, and, and again, it's going to far exceed just the nominal slowdown in Chinese economy, China's economy or even, you know, surrounding countries' economies, right? And and it's a huge contagion risk in terms of financial crisis uh, if this continues to get worse. And get worse, I think it will, because, you know, we're looking at a very infective disease. You know, we can look at some different cases, some different examples over this past, you know, week or two. For example, this Princess Diamond cruise ship in Japan, Um uh, you know, I said last uh, Friday how this is a really interesting case study. You know, back then we had like 60 cases. Now we're up to over 130 cases, which is crazy because, you know, in theory, how many people even ended up on the ship? I, I want to say they were one week into this voyage. How many people were sick on this ship in the first place? One, maybe two, maybe a whole family, right? But, you know, patient zero, maybe not. You know, and, and it, I, I'm thinking it's probably a human, right? It probably wasn't the food. I mean, it's a possibility, but but probably just a person that spread it to 130 plus people so far. And, and they haven't even tested everyone on board. They're testing, I guess, based on symptoms, um, quarantining the rest for like 14 plus days. And they're just testing based on symptoms, not because they're they're just being lazy, but because apparently, you know, Japan might not have the capabilities to test over 3,000 people, which is crazy. This is Japan, one of the supposedly one of the most advanced healthcare systems in the world, and they can't do enough, you know, uh, 
tests, whether it's, you know, the whatever, the PCR, I'm not going to pretend to be a viral expert, PCR or antibody test or whatever they're using these days, um, they can't test that many people, right? What happens when they're having to test, you know, whether it's Japan or South Korea, the United States or Europe, having to test tens or hundreds of thousands or millions? I mean, that's, it's not going to be doable at that point, right? And then anybody can walk around and say, well, it might just be a a head cold or something and, and spreading it all along. But but again, 136 people spread, you know, infected over basically a week's time span, right? And this really plays into this. Now, now I mean, a cruise ship is very close quarters, but but this plays into this new information that we're getting that, that this um, coronavirus could be uh, aerosolized. Uh, it could be airborne, essentially, meaning that it's range, it's, you know, the range that it can infect over, could be much more than just, you know, a couple feet, you know, we're talking tens of feet, right? Or even tens of meters, you know, depending on how far this, this aerosol can travel, which would make sense if, if you're having 130 plus, I'm sure there'll be many more cases on the ship. I mean, you have, you know, in a week's time, that's enough for maybe one person to infect some people and for them maybe to become transmissive, uh, contagious, I guess, Maybe not symptomatic, but maybe, you know, by the end of a week, at least contagious if they were exposed early enough in that one week period, you know, by the end of it to be spreading it to some of the other passengers on board. Right. But 136 already and, and probably more in the way. I mean, the, the crazy thing about this is what if it wasn't quarantined? What if it was allowed to dock and everybody left and they isolated you know, quarantine the one or two people at the time that were positive. That would have been a disaster for Japan and for all these other countries that these people came from on this cruise. But what's even crazier than that is what have we missed? How many cruise ships and airplanes have we missed? In fact, you know, I got a, um, there's a guy I follow on Twitter and and I'll quickly, while I'm talking here, I'll bring him up and because he's worth following. Um, how many people have we missed? There's this case of where somebody was stopped, and, and I might just not have the whole details right now. Um, he was stopped on the way back from Europe towards China and and suspected of, or maybe it was confirmed of, having the coronavirus, this COVID-19. Which doesn't make sense. Now, maybe he went there. But, but I mean, imagine he went there, it wasn't caught, and he probably spread it, and then... You know, on, on the way back, he was ultimately screened and, and caught as, as probably having it. That's kind of concerning. And how many more people have we missed? Even in the more developed first world, what about like Vietnam and, and, and Thailand and Malaysia and India and, and the whole of Africa and South America, which still don't really have any cases? How many have they missed? I mean, if if one cruise, or maybe more, but one passenger on a cruise ship was able to spread to 136 people on relatively close, close quarters, how many people could have caught it from a single airplane from an infected individual, right? And and how many of them don't even know yet? I mean, which gets into sort of the the long potential incubation period for this. 14, I even saw, you know, this was from Chris Martinson, he was quoting somebody, maybe even as long as 24 days, the incubation period before you show symptoms. And and of course, you could be contagious before you uh, have symptoms when you're still asymptomatic. 
that's pretty crazy, right? So, I mean, this thing is, is again, maybe not as deadly as SARS or MERS in terms of the case fatality ratio or rate, but it's pretty bad and it's incredibly infective, incredibly contagious. And it's only a matter of time, you know, given that long window that is mentioned there, that potentially long um, uh, um, incubation period before these cases really start to blow up. And we have, you know, multiple cases in places like France and the UK and, and the United States and, of course, Japan and some of these other Asian countries. But it's only a matter of time before we see huge amounts of this being spread before these health agencies or communities even pick up on the fact that it's being spread. Right? And I'm not trying to incite fear here, but I mean, I mean it quite le- honestly that that wherever you are, you know, there's a good chance if you're in northern uh, winter here in the United States, I guess not even relegated to the north, really. But but if it's flu season, you know, there could be the flu going around and, and generally hospitals test for it and whatnot. But there could be what seems to be the flu or the cold going around a school or workplace or what have you. And actually it could be the coronavirus and you could see dozens of people infected before anybody gets tested at a hospital that's concerning anyways again i'm not trying to spread fear here but this is certainly a lot worse i think than the world health organization or the cdc or certainly the chinese government is leading us to believe as always thank you every one of you from the bottom of my heart for tuning into today's podcast see you again later this week god bless